morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the first MBM MA Snack and Chat. I am Brian Shaw, a corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined by my fellow host, Caroline Urban, a senior associate also based in our London office. Hello, Caroline, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on board. Um, I'm super excited for these podcasts. The anticipation has been killing me. We've been preparing these for months. So before we begin, I should explain to our listeners what they can expect. First things first, it is snack and chat. So make sure you have your snacks in hand. I have mine, some lovely tortilla chips. Excuse the crunching in the background. Caroline, what's your snack of the day? Oh, I managed to get my hand on some German Haribo um, frog snacks, which are actually not that easily available in the UK, so I'm lucky today. Oh, German. Okay, I didn't know Haribo was German. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we can discuss that later in detail. Okay, okay, thank you. And of course, there's the other half, the M&A chat. So on each episode, we will catch up with former clients whom we've helped buy and sell businesses, and other specialists in the M&A field who can share their insights and provide our listeners with hints and tips on the M&A process. The idea being that these will be kind of short 15 to 20 minute podcasts that are fun, informative, that you can listen to on the go if you're on the tube or you know, while you're having your morning tea or snacking on your fruit or chocolate digestive or caramel log, we won't say anything, um, on your afternoon tea break. So before we begin, Caroline, would you just mind uh, telling the listeners about more about yourself and, and about MBM? Sure. Thanks, Brian. Um, I've been with MBM for a year now, and I must say it's a really exciting place to work. My career to date was spent predominantly in, in larger firms where the deals were maybe a bit bigger, but there was not that much variety in the work. MBM focuses on supporting entrepreneurs and mid-sized companies, which means that understanding their business and thinking the way they do, and being able to advise on different aspects of their business. This makes us entrepreneurial business law firm and allows us to be creative in how we provide our services. I'm actually also working on setting up MBM's German desk, as I'm German, and to my delight, I was actually very pleased to hear that we have quite a few German speakers at MBM. This puts us in a great position to advise German companies doing business in the UK and should lead to some interesting cross-border M&A work. Oh, thanks, Caroline. I didn't realize we had so many German speakers. Uh, danke schön. Danke schön. I'm obviously not one of them. <laughs> not one of them. Uh, yeah, this is good. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll leave it there. Um, just, just a bit about myself. Um, listeners, so, um, so as I mentioned, I'm a corporate partner at, at MBM and I joined the partnership at the beginning of this year. Uh, interesting year, to say the least, uh, with, with, with COVID. Um, and I specialize in, in tech, VC and M&A deals. However, in saying that, I've helped clients, uh, many clients over the years, buy and sell businesses in all sorts of sectors from hospitality, financial services and real estate, just to name a few. You can probably tell from my poor German accent that I'm not German, nor am I English. I'm I'm from Australia, so please don't hold that against me. Um, other than when the ashes is on, and then it's it's game on. Um, I immigrated to the UK in 2014, 
um, and have advised on uh, various M&A deals for over 12 years now. Um, on a personal note, um, I recently became a father to my very beautiful daughter, Gabrielle, and it's a shame we're not on video for our listeners because I would love to share a photograph because I think she's the most beautiful baby girl in the world, uh, although maybe I'm a little bit biased there. Now on with today's episode, and I am truly excited about today's guest. Being the founding show, we thought it only apt that we should have as our first guest, one of the founding members and one of the founding partners of MBM Commercial, our current managing partner, captain of the team, Stuart Hendry. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure to have Stuart with us today, especially as MBM is celebrating its 15th birth year this year. Um, MBM Commercial emerged as a spin-out from the renowned Scottish private client firm Murray Beath Murray in 2005, led by Stuart. Murray Beath Murray was increasingly advising angel investors on their investments in small to mid-sized businesses, which naturally led to those young businesses also needing support. MBM, which was Murray Beath Murray's commercial arm, was well-placed to do that as an independent advisor. Since MBM's inception, Stuart has advised many clients throughout their life cycle, from their first investment all the way through to exit. And the word spread fast so that MBM has increasingly become a trusted advisor for entrepreneurs selling their businesses and buyers adding to their portfolios. But Stuart can tell us a bit more about that. So hi, Stuart, and welcome to our podcast. Caroline and Brian, um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you um, maybe it's um, great to be on your, your first podcast. It, it's, a, it's probably the first time that someone's ever asked me to give any background on the history of our firm. And um, as you say, Caroline, the firm is 15 years old um, this month. And the history is that it was an, an MBO deal from a business that was a, a mid-sized full-service law firm operating out of Edinburgh. And what, what happened was that the um, smaller commercial arm of that business, I guess we had an opportunity to take the business um, out and set up a, a separate standalone um, commercial law firm. And I think back then and 15 years ago, that, that was really the trend with lots of law firms deciding to, to go commercial or, or go private. And Murray Beath Murray, as it was, was 150 years old, roughly by that point as a private client service firm. And the smaller part of the business uh, was the commercial arm that was only probably at that point about um, 15 years old. And it was a great opportunity. So it's been, it's been fun. Stuart, a, a little birdie has told me something interesting this morning, that, that your father was, is, is a dentist. So I'm interested, why choose law over dentistry? I, I, I guess in a, in a perfect or an older world, I would have taken over the family business and followed in my father's and indeed my grandfather's footsteps as, as a dentist. But I think with certain types of business, it's a bit like Marmite. And um, I think... Um, Me Vegemite. Or indeed, <laughs> and I think it's either something you, you, you would want to do or you definitely don't want to do. I have mm-hmm. two brothers and all of us were, I think, steadfastly sure that we definitely did not want to become dentists. So I'm afraid that there are no further dentists, and at least for now, in the, the, the Hendry family tree, if you like, in terms of the, the next generation. But um, I guess I'm probably the first lawyer that's entered the ranks of, of the family. So 
so yeah, it's it's um, qu- quite different, that's for sure, from working in the world of dentistry. But I guess I've, I've grown up, you know, being involved in the family business, um, working in that business actually in the dental workshop for quite a number of years was probably my first job. Certainly, I think working with someone that owns a business and runs a business, um, you certainly pick up things over the years. There are certain things I reflect on, um, you know, now in terms of, you know, the running of our, our firm, you know, all the way back to things that, you know, I discussed with my father many, many years ago now. Yeah, so no, I'm, I'm pleased to be a lawyer, not a dentist, that's for sure. You, you mentioned um, father ran a family run business. You know, I see MBM as a bit of a family run business as well. You know, I've only joined the firm recently, but it feels like a family to me. There's so many lawyers and so many law firms um, around, around the country. What, in your opinion, separates uh, MBM from the rest? Well, well, I think any business to be successful has to have what I would describe some secret sauce. I think a lot of that will be for a smaller business. It has to involve the types of customers you're, you know, you're working with, what products or services you're, you're, um, you're offering, and, and of course the people. And I, I think the fantastic thing about our business is that because we've taken the decision to specialize in the area of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial business, commercial business deals, doing investment deals, helping people grow their businesses, buy businesses, sell businesses. I think that, that, that that's probably one of the things that's rubbed off is that our clients want us to be commercial. They you know, don't expect us to be writing dissertations. I think in terms of you know, the advice they want, they want it to be sharp and snappy. I think the people that we've um, recruited over the years, um, what we very much are focused on is making sure that you know, it's sort of short, snappy advice and, and, and being able to, I guess, to do it in a, a fun environment. And uh, you know, that may sound odd, um, you know, trying to provide legal services and have some fun at the same time. But, you know, I am so happy and delighted that, you know, we have entrepreneurial clients. You know, I think they are can-do people, people that want to do positive things. Now, I think that that certainly rubbed off on me. I guess the secret sauce, certainly MBM, has been a combination of the type of work that we do. We, we do sort of high-quality work. We're working with clients that are great fun. They can be hard work. Um, entrepreneurs work very hard and um, need to drive deals and get things done. Mm-hmm. Very rewarding to see clients that are doing really positive things out there and actually, you know, doing things that are going to change things for the better. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's it's so exciting to be working with, with uh, positive thinking and, and motivated people. And that kind of leads me nicely to the next question, which is to sort of ask you to look into your crystal ball, having had quite a bit of M&A um, experience and also being able to look at the M&A landscape. So co- post-COVID and looking at particular sectors, do you think there's going to be some good deals to be had, some, some businesses that will be ripe for acquisitions? What do you see in your crystal ball? Oh, goodness. I think if we all had a crystal ball, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I, mean, I guess in terms of M&A, so many deals have, at the point of lockdown, certainly in the UK in March, immediately being put on the shelf and, and quite properly because businesses need to, you know, consider what on earth they're buying now. You know, what, what, what business is there now? You know, is there the same business case for a business going forward that there was, you know, pre-March 2020? So lots of deals have been put on the shelf. I, I am certainly now seeing deals coming off the shelf, if you like. You know, there's definitely more activity. Um, we are working on a number of M&A transactions right now. 
there are certainly some that are opportunistic, which are caused as a result, as a direct result of COVID. So certainly I've got one food and drink acquisition at the moment. I've just completed one acquisition this week, which is involving death tech, dare I say. So um, there are, you know, I think that there are areas where, I think every area there's opportunities. And I think, I think the question is, certainly for most of our client base, is, is there a, a sort of digital solution or some sort of angle on the sort of technology front that can provide an opportunity for businesses in a sector that haven't already adopted that technology or that opportunity? You know, right now, I think, you know, what's happened in the last five, you know, five months or so is that businesses, you know, businesses have been forced to, uh, you know, adopt new working practices, adopt technology at double quick time. I mean, someone has just gone and pressed a fast forward button on mm. so many things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are having a conversation, you know, you know, right now involving Zoom. That's not something that, you know, in our business that we were doing ordinarily, but now that's just a, a normal daily feature that will never go away. You know, I, again, you know, for example, in our business over the last you know, few months, you know, we've, we've gone completely digital on how we can complete M&A transactions for clients. You know, we have um, bought and sold businesses without a single person being, you know, face to face, you know, needing a wet ink signature. That is not something that was normal before March 2020, whereas that is now the default setting. You know, businesses are having to embrace, you know, you know the use of data um, and technology in, in whatever way that they can to basically ensure that, you know, their business is going to be more efficient, it's going to be profitable. They're, they're looking at their costs. Um, they're looking at, frankly, how all their staff who are now working in many cases from remote locations can, you know, continue to do their job well and keep more in touch with, with the business, albeit, you know, from you know, a sort of home working standing point. And again, that's something that is you know, unprecedented. Uh, I, I think ultimately data and technology is is the key, but more deals certainly on the M&A front, I think will will, will continue to open up as we, you know, as, as lockdown restrictions, you know, continue to get lifted. No, I think, I think, I think you're right. I think those, uh, you know, tech and, and data are, are really the key sectors that, that will take off. If you got that right, then, um, yeah, that's very valuable. Would you, um, can you tell us a bit more about our U.S.? desk and um, has it been successful it's been going for a few years now and it's headed up by Tracy Ginn who lived in in California for 15 years are there what are the plans for the for the near future do you think there's going to be more cross-border transactions with the US well well so the starting with the concept of you know why on earth do we as a business have a, a US capability and I, I think probably if I cast my mind back to probably about seven years ago, I worked on a transaction for a very exciting venture capital funded tech company. They were ultimately sold to a Californian buyer, which in turn within a short period, I think they were bought by Microsoft or they were bought by Google and very, very exciting. And I was thoroughly depressed when it was made clear to me that the terms of that acquisition of our client would only be US terms. And because we didn't have a US lawyer on the team sheet, we, they would be using, you know, a separate um, law firm in America. And, mm. and, I, and I think for a number of years, we have passed deals over to U.S. lawyers um, and separate firms operating in the U.S. And I think for a number of our clients, they have not always been happy with the end result, I think, in terms of the charges. And I think also just in terms of the way in which a service is provided by a U.S. firm, it's not the same 
as in the UK. And, and a good example, for example, is that in the US, um, law firms will basically only bill based on the time that they record per an hourly rate. Whereas uh, the bulk of the work that I'm doing for our clients in the UK is it's generally fixed fee. To be able to set up a team in, in the you know, UK where we've got US lawyers operating um, in the UK on the same time zone as our UK clients and operating where um, we're quite prepared to work to fix fees. And if, if there are any you know, instances where we have to apply a rate card, certainly that rate card will be an awful lot less than you know, what a, a Californian or a New York based law firm would be charging. And ultimately we're, we're working with a client base where it's predominantly tech based. And for most of those tech based clients, the first jumping off point, if you like, beyond the UK tends to be the US. You know, Tracy and her team are now working on a number of you know, US um, sale transactions right, you know, right now. Mm. Thanks, Stuart. So last question, um, just mindful of our time. Um, so you've obviously, you know, advised on, on numerous M&A deals you know, over, over the last 25 years for buyers and sellers. 20, by the way. 20. 20. Not- okay. So- <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, but, but that's focusing on sellers now. We spoke a bit about buyers, but focusing on sellers. So, so those uh, listeners uh, to the podcast who are interested in selling their business, now, what would your number one piece of advice be to, to those uh, potential sellers at this current point in time? Um, well, I think in most M&A deals where someone is going to sell their business, I think the most important point to be mindful of is that the documents that are generated as part of the transaction are always, 99% of the time, they are buyer-produced documents by the buyer's lawyers, and they are drafted in a way which means that they are always buyer-friendly. So Mm -hmm. these documents, a typical share purchase agreement, for example, might run from 70 pages all the way through to, goodness, you know, 150 pages, let's say, sometimes more. And these documents are full of lots of content, and ultimately um, what happens is once you've agreed your head to terms, the head to terms act as a specification if you like, you know, to the lawyers who are then acting for the buyer to then produce these documents. So mm-hmm. my advice for any seller is that you absolutely have to take quite a bit of time on your heads of terms and you have to ensure that those heads of terms provide more detail on the content of what might be covered in your share purchase agreement and certainly more so than your corporate financer would, would advise you. Your, your corporate mm-hmm. financial advisor just wants to get generally speaking, we'll want to make sure that you know, they've, they've helped you find a buyer, they've, they've then helped you basically strike a price and the sort of basics in terms of how the payment mechanism will work. And as soon as they've done that, I think their view is that the deal is done and you know, the lawyers just basically paper things up and then, you know, they, you know, then the deal gets completed and they get, they get paid. And often they get paid an awful lot of money. And I, I quite often find that I'm the difficult character who's acting for the sellers because I'm I'm, I'm really briefing the sellers and saying, look, guys, the opportunity where you're in the strongest negotiating position is at the point of heads of terms. Mm. So you must ensure that those heads of terms contain enough content to ensure that when the, those share purchase documents that are prepared by the buyers, lawyers come back and we receive them, that they are actually in line with expectation and they're, and they're not completely one-sided in favor of the buyer. You have to watch out as a seller what the heads of terms are saying. You have to take mm. advice. Point and that's your best opportunity to do something about it. 
Otherwise, you'll be in the back food throughout the, the rest of the transaction. I think that's right. I think, you know, don't get distracted by the, by the headline figure on the purchase price. The devil's in the detail. Right. So we've, we've come to the end of, of the uh, chatting, the M&A chat. Um, but what we're doing at the, at the end of each episode, we are doing a rapid fire round where each guest will have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can in that time. So just say the first thing that comes to mind. All make sense? Yes. Okay. So, Stuart, in one word or phrase only. On your mark, get set. What was your first job? Working for a dentist. What's your favorite holiday destination? Mallorca. If you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, alive, dead or fictional, who would you invite and why? Oh, God. I'm not sure about that. They'd have to be film stars. And I think Russell Crowe is probably my man. Your favourite movie? Or Shawshank Redemption. What, what are you currently reading? Um, I am reading um, Gorky Park by... Um, now, is it Mark? I can't remember the actual author. I think it's Martin Crew Smith. If Richard Branson sat next to you on a flight, what would your first question be other than, are you Richard Branson? He wouldn't be Richard Branson because I'd be sitting in economy and he'd be somewhere in first class. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, if you could travel back in time to meet your 10-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Definitely don't become a dentist. <laughs> Stuart, thank you for joining us on the MBM m and podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. So, so that's all we have time for today a really informative interview with our managing partner. Please join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest where we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye. Goodbye.